Handy History Teaching Tips, blogs in a conversational style. Handy History Teaching Tips are conversational podcasts designed to help history teachers with tips, examples and ideas about history teaching. Sally Thorne, that's me, is a head of department and senior examiner. Helen Snelson was a head of department and now trains history teachers. Between us, we have more years classroom history teaching experience than we are going to admit here. Both of us regularly write resources and present at conferences. We are proudly history specific and practical in our approach. Our hope is that this podcast will become something of a problem page for history teachers. Think of Helen and I as your agony aunts. If you're wrestling with something particularly tricky and need some help, drop us an email at handyhistoryteachingtips at gmail.com or tweet us. I'm at Mrs Thorne and Helen is at Snelson H. And we will see what we can cook up between us. This podcast is the second in a new series called Doing History Better, which aims to give practical tips for improving your history teaching in the wake of the 2020 Black Lives Matter protests. Hello, Sally. Hi. Um, Having started this series then with a few ideas for immediate action to make school history more representative, We're going to take a focus this episode, aren't we, on being more systematic. Um, And in 2019, you published a a blog post, Sal, which summarised your your talk to Teach Me History Icons. Yeah, that's right. And I um, so I had a bit of an epiphany um, around about 2018. And I I realised that my curriculum, it just wasn't it wasn't right for the students that I um, that I was teaching. Um, and so I, I kind of started making changes to improve the representation within my curriculum. And it, it kind of led me further to think about why I hadn't done this in the place that I used to work. And, um, I, yeah, it, it got me quite exercised over a couple of years. So, um, yeah, so, so my blog post was just all about the process that I'd undertaken and, and the changes that I'd made. It was it was it was really, really helpful because we we use some of your thinking as a York Clio group um, of teachers in the summer of 2019. We um, had a meeting and agreed to set up a page on our York Clio site where we could share helpful resources with each other. Um, And we also put together a curriculum audit list, which makes no claims whatsoever to be either perfect or complete, but is about framing and stimulating discussions between colleagues. Yeah, and that's that looks great. So, but how would you suggest that, um, like, that you'd use this this year, for example? Well, yeah, I think it's got to be really, really flexible. The the questions don't need to be tackled in order or all at once. And and to be honest, I I think the discussions, the the process of discussion and really thinking about curriculum using these as prompt questions, is the most valuable thing. Yeah, I I um, yeah, I think so. I think it's it's good to. It's good to have a starting point, isn't it? So um, if we look at, um, at one of the questions there um, from from your list, then. So are the pasts of the students we teach represented in our curriculum? And that's a good starting point. And because it's really important because that question makes us really think about the home backgrounds um, and the kind of heritage of the children who are sitting in front of us every day. Uh, so do we really know them? Yeah, indeed. And, and I'm aware that history teachers can meet an awful lot of children every week compared to say a maths or an English teacher where you have more lessons with the same class and yet of course it is so important to make the time to think about who the children are as people what backgrounds do they come from into our classrooms you know backgrounds in its widest sense 
yeah and i and, and the answer to this question is obviously going to be really different depending on on what school you're working in so like where i teach in bristol for example we um so i teach just next to st paul's in an area called montpellier but because it's a girls school we have a very diverse range of students we don't really take from the local catchment and um, so we've got all kinds of students from the local somali community but also lots of asian students lots of white students so all all different kinds yeah, no, absolutely. And if I compare two of the schools I've taught in actually thinking about it, in, in one, there was a pretty wide socioeconomic spread. Most students were white, though. Um, few mm. were Eastern European, some were from the Balkans, a few from Iceland. Um, and there were also a good number of gypsy traveller children. Um, but another school was much more international on a world scale with children from parts of Africa, South America and the Far East and are conversely less socioeconomically diverse. So, yeah, it really does depend I think from school to school doesn't it yeah and and I you know I think it's just it feels really important to have a really good think about where our students um, are from and who they who they are so no student arrives in your classroom as a blank slate and uh, we're going to be better history teachers if we really think about how they might experience the history that they're taught yeah and that raises really interesting and challenging questions doesn't it things like mm. might what is taught believing students with no chance of seeing people in the past like themselves um, or are we reinforcing unhelpful stereotypes um, or are we asking questions of the past that just don't resonate and connect our students to history so they just switch off um, and things like might we be teaching without any apparent concern narratives that are really starkly different or conflicting with home narratives which unless we acknowledge that can be really bewildering for a child yeah and yeah disorientating I think yeah I, I mean I see I see what you mean by how much extra thinking just one question can stimulate um and but I guess you know this one question on its own it probably only gets us so far um, and, uh, you know, we need to be asking that question alongside another one, which is, you know, it's all it's it's great to cater for the backgrounds of the students that are in your school. But we also need to think about whether the pasts of all people living in modern Britain are represented within our curriculum as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think you put this really well when in your blog post you challenged yourself by reflecting on your own school. Um, sorry, your old school, wasn't it? And, and mm -hmm. talked about how as the school was almost all white it was even more the responsibility of of that history department to teach British history that students would be unlikely to pick up from home yes yeah so much and I just you know it was it was an awful realization thinking I worked at that school for a really long time and we redid the curriculum several times and and just thinking we could have done better you know some some of those students that they're not going to have any chance to learn migration stories um, outside of their home background so um, you know they they're never going to bump into that knowledge um, just through the friends and through the company that they keep in their local area so we need to teach them you know that modern Britain is not all white it's it hasn't been all white in this country for for centuries and for, for millennia you know it's never never necessarily been that way so you know and I realize that's like a statement of the obvious but unless we're explicitly teaching that then they're going to go out into the world with this attitude um you know the, the, the same attitude as people who shout go home to people that are not white you know what well, they are they are home so and I think you know a big a big um kind of part of my my learning on this was 
when I introduced my year nine project into the school that I'm working at now. So I've, I've talked about this in an earlier podcast and students go home and they interview somebody in their family and then they do some research about history that they remember. Well, I learned a lot of history that I didn't know anything about when I did year nine project um, at my new school. And that's not to say that it wasn't fascinating when I did it where I used to work, but the, the diversity in the stories made me realise that it just our curriculum just was not reflective um, of our of our student body and it also made me really sad uh, on about how many stories the students that I used to teach had missed out on um, so you know and there of course there are like huge problems with teaching an all-white past in schools where people are not all white as well um, but I think that there are also really huge problems of teaching an all-white curriculum where the students are overwhelmingly white and um, so part of what we do at school is 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 preparing people to become adults in 21st century Britain. And we're really not preparing students well if they've had this very limited history curriculum. Yes, it was it was a fear that you've articulated there that we were shortchanging all students that led us into our thinking about what students would know when they had finished their history studies with us. And mm -hmm. I think it's a really, really important exercise to review what is taught at, at key stage three, after which obviously most of us lose, most students, um, and to check that they will they will take away. Um, I think the following secure knowledge, a secure knowledge that people who were not white and not Christian have long lived in these islands. Um, mm. To paraphrase Peter Fryer, there were black citizens of York before the English in, yes. in my situation. Um, these people do not just turn up in our curriculum, let's check, as victims of oppression by powerful white people. Mm. Um, and also, do they leave Key Stage 3 knowing that women made up 50% of people in the past yeah. and that women haven't always been queens or victims of male oppression mm -hmm. um, and that there have always been minority groups defined by other than race, such as um, LGBTQ plus and people with disabilities. Yeah, it's yeah. it can be quite a sobering thing to think, oh, my goodness, what students leave with yes and I think you know I, I would also say that it could be quite overwhelming to think about it to think about all of these things but um you know I think I guess it, it's really helpful to think about start and end points um here so the start and end points of the units that you're currently teaching you know I, I everybody I think dreams of having a term off so that they can rewrite their curriculum if you haven't got that time just look at the units that you're currently teaching and think about your start and end points so for example um, if you're teaching about the Holocaust you, you know make sure that the teaching of that starts with Jewish life and people like before the war um, and kind of ends with the survivors so that the narrative um, of the Holocaust is not just that of perpetrator and, and victim um, and we've got a lot to think about in reframing topics so that you know, students don't just learn about certain groups of people um, as victims that, you know, they have agency beyond that. Yeah, indeed. It's it's about human dignity, isn't it, ultimately? Um, that's why we also added, um, do we enable students to see people in the past as more rounded and complex than the labels people in power in society gave them? I'm, I'm really twitchy about generalisations in the history classroom that possibly unwittingly support othering and making lives and identities too simplistic. So I suppose the question, do we enable all people in the past to be seen as as fully human? Yeah. 
Yeah, I always think, you know, the, the great figures of history are remembered exactly as they wanted to be. You know, the people that won in history, they wrote how they wanted to be remembered. And that's what we teach. So I really think it's important that we try to do the same for all people of history, even the people that didn't get to choose um, what the kind of record of what they left behind. Um, so I think it's, you know, it, that, that's a good question to build on the Act Now advice from last time about like checking that all the visuals we put in front of students in textbooks, PowerPoints, etc., worksheets, like um, that make sure that they reflect the past as diverse as it was and also reflect people's dignity within that. Yeah, I've I've learned so much over the years about the importance of of images. I mean, to my horror, I realise it may be possible that the only images children saw of black people in my classroom back in the 1990s was of African-American black men lynched and Martin Luther King on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, mm. um, which is back to the problem of, of uh, people are either got to be a hero or a victim if they appear at all. Awful. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, thinking about those those images, I know we've we talked about this in the past. You know, we need to talk about how emotional and sensitive topics can be here as well. Yeah, there's a there's a helpful historical association report. It's quite old now, but it's still a helpful starting point for thinking about teaching emotional and controversial history. It's called mm -hmm. the Teach Report. And I think there's there's more work to be done, though, around the problem of avoiding controversial issues in the classroom um, and helping students to understand why some past topics are still highly emotional and sensitive for some groups of people and not others. So I think there's probably some work we need to do around that area. Yeah, and, and just being able to to kind of do, it's quite fashionable, is it the 360 look at it, you know, try to look at it from all angles before you think about it. But I think, you know, it's important not to shy away from it. And I, you know, I start teaching the slave trade, um, we, I, or teaching transatlantic slavery um, in year seven. And it's, you know, it is, it, it's not an, it's not a nice topic to learn, but I'm really open with that with my students. And I say, you know, if you get upset, if you get sad about this, then that's, you know, that's probably, that's perfectly natural. It's a perfectly natural reaction. This is a really, really horrible thing, real horrible, horrible episode in history, but it's really important that we learn about it. It's really important that we learn about as much of it as possible because we need to do justice to the memory of the, of the people that were the victims of transatlantic slavery. Yeah, absolutely. Changing tack slightly, I think, um, you know, when trying to make our curriculum more representative, we talked about changing beginning and end points there as well. Mm. We're always going to butt up against this perpetual problem of lack of curriculum time. Um, but I think if we also always teach so our students know that the school curriculum itself is constructed, mm -hmm. selected and therefore an interpretation of a very diverse past, at least we should be avoiding setting up claims to authority for our curriculum that it that it cannot support yeah um, don't we think about that as an idea yeah I think that's really like really important and yeah to show students that you know this is I have selected this and then also think about you know how would you defend that to, to various groups of stakeholders if you had to defend your curriculum you know would you be able to um, so I you know some we're going to do um, more on this in, in in a further episode, particularly about the work that Catherine Priggs did on this as well. And there's, you know, there's lots of people out there that are, are kind of decolonising their curriculums. They're trying to think about this, uh, create a more representative curriculum um, and also about kind of how to reframe historical inquiries so that they are kind of decolonised and anti-racist um, within the curriculum as well. I just I think there's some really exciting things being done at the moment. Yeah. And we, we want to 
just encourage people to do something and to keep learning as we are yeah yes yeah and so we'll just we'll end this one um here by just referring you um, back to the rest of the questions on the one big history department website you know if you um just pick out one or two put them into a department meeting um and just kind of keep that conversation going you know nobody expects you to do it overnight um, at least we don't <laughs> so um yeah i guess it's just just going through the process of having that discussion with the people that are in your department you know, just talk to other people about it it's it's a really good way to start thanks sal yeah. see you next time yeah nice to talk to you <laughs> bye